Beware that his shadow doth not burden your dreams with horrible fears. Read an excerpt from the Book of Vampires. The Book of Vampires also read, At night Nosferatu sinketh his fangs into his victim and feedeth on his blood, his hellish elixir of life. Recognize this quotes movie? Stay tuned to find out, or check out the title of this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. And KJ. Additionally, joining us as a guest this week is... Pat. Thanks for joining us. You may remember Pat from prior episodes such as Michael Hahn. The Bride of Frankenstein, and The Fast and the Furious. Hey, Pat, you still like movies? Yeah, they're pretty good. All right. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are exploring the roots of the horror genre to better understand last week's release of Scream 5 by going back to 1922. In 1922, the USSR is created, the Lincoln Memorial is dedicated, and the first issue of Reader's Digest is published. During all of this, F.W. Murnau's movie Nosferatu is released in Germany, based on Bram Stoker's Dracula, without Mrs. Stoker's permission. After a lawsuit, it was ordered that all copies of Nosferatu be destroyed. However, some versions of the film survived and were released in the USA in 1929. Other big movies in 1922 include One Exciting Night, Blood and Sand, Douglas Fairbanks's Robin Hood, and Oliver Twist. This movie follows the story of Jonathan Harker, I mean Thomas Hutter, as he is tasked by his boss Renfield, I mean Knock, with assisting Count Dracula, I mean Count Orthlock, with acquiring a home in London, I mean Germany. After saying goodbye to his new bride Mina, I mean Ellen, and leaving her in the good care of his friend Lucy, I mean Annie, Hutter visits Orlock and learns the terrifying secret that he is a Nosferatu. Yes, this movie was sued for copyright infringement, and yes, it did lose. Nick, if you had one word to describe Nosferatu, what would it be? Sanguine. KJ? Symphony. Pat? expressionism i think pat just won the episode no reason to have the quiz (laughs) you know even if it wasn't expressionistic i would just believe it was (laughs) (laughs) yeah we've talked a lot about expressionism on this show for some reason i was hoping that was gonna be a question (laughs) what style is this (laughs) and my word would be haunting it's time for question one How does Hutter cut himself? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. All right, KJ, what do you have? Um, He 
cut himself with a, a, a bread knife while cutting bread in one of the strangest ways I've ever seen anybody cut bread. It felt a little, a little forced, but with the bread knife. All right, Nick, what do you have? Yeah, the only way to cut bread is to get it in like a headlock death grip and then get the knife and just shove it towards you. <laughs> All right, and Pat, what do you have? This is one of the the sort of like problems with, yeah, uh, locking in first because now I can't make any jokes, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, weirdest <laughs> way you would ever. Like, he was never a Boy Scout. They would, they would never let you have your, <laughs> your knife that way. But yes, he, mm -hmm. he cuts it with a bread knife while cutting his bread mm -hmm. and really gashes his hand. Yeah, he goes in there. <laughs> that looked like a nice loaf of bread, too, mind you. I just, I figured I'd throw that out there. <laughs> Tom, I'm, you could have brought that to a movie theater, okay? Got some nice butter on that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's what we call a callback to an episode no one remembers. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Audience, will you? So I brought this question up just as a general introduction to talk about mainly the plot. Um, this, I think more than most of the Draculas I've seen follows the novel. Not, I won't say closely, but more so than most with the possible exception of uh, the Coppola adaptation from the early 90s. And I was wondering what people thought of uh, the plot of this. Do you mean the unique character setting and ideas brought to us <laughs> by the creators of Nosferatu? I don't know what book you're speaking of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, no, mum's the word. <laughs> I think the only other Dracula movie I've seen is uh, Dracula, what, 1931. Mm -hmm. I thought this was better than that. Way better. Like yeah. Creepier, scarier, eerier. Mm -hmm. AJ, I thought you were going to say uh, Dracula dead and loving it. <laughs> I was <laughs> just going to, I was just going to, I thought you were going to say the same thing. I was like, that, that doesn't totally count. <laughs> yeah. My only knowledge of Roman history comes from History of the World Part 1. And so... <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think this is, it's odd because I don't know what I was expecting, but uh, it is, it's a lot closer to, I think the the book in the sense of like the Count character is sort of more alien than most Draculas. Um, he's like harder to get to. The Has anybody seen the Coppola version of it? It's I actually kind of like it, but it's really over the top. It has it has Keanu in the the Jonathan Harker Hutter, whatever you want to call it, role, and Gary Oldman playing Dracula, which is a weird choice. But um, it looks it, it's clearly drawing from this movie a lot, a lot of the the kind of throwbacks. Uh, but in that movie, like there's this whole backstory where Dracula and um, Mina or Ellen, you know, whatever her name is, they actually were lovers in a past life and Dracula has survived all this time to find her spirit again. And that's really why he's coming to London. So this is kind of like BS backstory. Um, and this is the one that follows the novel the most closely? To no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, I, I, I would say this was, uh, other than that one. It, it does. It actually follows the novel pretty closely, except for that backstory. Like everything else is almost kind of page for page, except occasionally they have this conversation about past lives and 
whatever or and a bizarre introduction where his wife dies and he curses god and becomes a dracula and you know that, that type of thing um but the the whole movie kind of makes dracula center and you kind of know his psychology more what's nice about this is he's like completely alien um you know he's this sort of black hole center of the movie and that's i think what i really liked about this was that there's like a lot of communication going on in this movie and none of it comes out of him or from him. Well, this movie, he truly is a creature, whereas later adaptations almost have Dracula and honestly vampires in general as more um, seductive, charming. Mm -hmm. And this one is not that. In fact, now in like modern times, you have like sexy vampires, you know, like it's gotten to a whole nother level. Whereas this is an odd creature. yeah, like a just straight up a monster. Yeah, and that's very much what it is in the book too. I mean, he's not mm-hmm. he is not in any way sort of seen as like, you know, uh, as as you're saying like yeah the the romantic sexy vampire you know and sort of this like the I you know you get to live forever. And I mean, I think you know in the book they're literally they're like well they're not alive anymore they're just walking corpses. Like that's supposed to mm-hmm. be and you know this one very much gets the the spirit of this one that these are this is this is not a this is not like a a guy anybody's going to be fooled into thinking is, you know, a uh, 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 Bella Lugosi or something. I, I'm sure I've brought this up on the show before, but my grandfather used to say when he saw King Kong, there wasn't a lot of information about the middle of Africa. Maybe there was a King Kong there. Right? Like there was no. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, this, as you guys are saying, he's a creature kind of felt the same way. Maybe there is a dude in Transylvania that in Transylvania mm-hmm. that, it's kind of like this. Because it was so foreign. Well, that's where it came. I mean, um, Albin Grau, I think was the name, G-R-A-U, the, was the producer. And he, uh, the story goes, though it's kind of hard to, to trace its truth, was that uh, he, during the, the First World War, where he was serving, sat down with a bunch of kind of peasants from the East, and they're like, we can't go out at night you know, the Nosferatu will get you and we all have to stay indoors. So there's this idea, I think he actually believed it. And he was more of the sort of brains behind everything than than Murnau. I think they brought Murnau in more so than, than he was a, a conceiver of the project. Um, it was Dykeman and Grau. Uh, and I think this guy, he was an occultist. I think he actually kind of believed that something like this was out there in the east the you know the the producer and i think he did a lot of the set designs for the the picture as well so there is like the people who are making it some of them kind of actually do believe that this is possible so going back to the bread real quick um the uh on the caligari episode i mentioned they had like big chairs and stuff on the Mm -hmm. caligari episode and i thought oh that's just what it was like back in the early 1900s we we didn't know what else to do we made big chairs with and here i thought they just hadn't quite figured out how to cut bread yet right you always hear the greatest things in sliced bread i'm like oh that's like they didn't didn't think about putting it on the table no yeah this is the first slice it was the slicing they're referring to as the greatest things in sliced bread not the bread everybody was cutting themselves all the time Finally, <laughs> this is this is German expressionism, incompetent <laughs> food eating. That's... It's time for question two. What mountain range does Hutter cross? Locked in. Locked in. 
locked in. All right, KJ, what do you have? Well, he starts in his hometown, and then he's got to cross the mountains not so far to to get to the to the monster. <laughs> we, we need a proper noun. Not so far to. <laughs> not so far to. Okay. So that's not just, that's not right. But, you know, Nick, what do you have? <laughs> okay. So there's something that's in my mind, and I don't know exactly the, the proper way to say it, but there was a mention of Carpathia or something like that. Because all I could remember was Vigo the Carpathian, but they did mention that place. So I'm going to say the Car Carpathian Mountains. All right, Pat, what do you have? Yeah, the Carpathian Mountains. All right, very oh, good. Oh, did I look into that one? Yep, yeah. He is Vigo. 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 That is why I remembered it. <laughs> it is Vigo. Ghostbusters 2 for the win, Nick. Nicely yes, done. yes, very good. Yeah. You know all those Nick. stupid things when you're like in school, I'll remember this so that I remember that. Demonic <laughs> device. <laughs> All right, so I brought this question up to talk about kind of the pretty obvious question, I think, the, the importance of setting, right? How these different settings work, um, what you guys thought of them, the kind of differences between the sort of more urban setting and the, the Carpathian area, the castles and whatnot. I'm still um, amazed I got that right. <laughs> it's like the one nugget in my brain. Uh, we uh, all are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was great. Uh, it, it, it was like going back into the old villages. And even when they set it up, not even talking about Nosferatu, but they're like, oh, the werewolf is out tonight. Like they're into all that crazy superstition. So it's just like going into another world. I almost want to say like fairy tale world, but like all the bad ones, like the wolves that are going <laughs> to eat you, like those ones, not the happy ones. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I didn't think there was, it didn't feel too different when they were in the city, we'll say, and the castles, but mm -hmm. night and day. That's okay. true. Felt yeah. All the as bad stuff came night out at day. night. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it was very um, uh, Castlevania 2 on the NES, right? The terrible night for a curse. It, it, it was really cool that during the day, it almost seemed silly to be afraid of the things that I, mm -hmm. you were fearing at night. And I think the boundaries here are in time, not in location. Mm -hmm. I think that's where it really, uh, re where you found that the scary stuff was at night and it was terrifying. And then they did a great job of uh, slowing the music down, making it happy. And it really made you feel like, why was I ever afraid at night? That was really silly, wasn't it? Like the horses are still here or, or whatever it was, <laughs> it, you mm -hmm. know. We'll throw the book down. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Definitely, yeah, I, I definitely got the Simon's to, or the, the Simon's quest vibes on that one. Like I thought that was, yes. it's, it's definitely has that. Well, all you got to do is go to that one screen and kneel for a while yeah. for some reason. And then and you're going to be fine. And equip the red crystal, which like, yeah. Yeah, like obvious. <laughs> Am I the only person who doesn't what is it? It's game? like hit, hit like Widow's Rock with your head or something. It's like one of the you needed, and you're like You needed <laughs> to know a very unique place to go and place that equipment to have and kneel for a while to advance in the game. So yes, it's like kind of known. <laughs> and, and Tom, the people in the game, would tell you to do different things than that. 
because mm-hmm. apparently it was basically so poorly translated that it was like literally it was like hit the something rock with your head and you're like what am i supposed to do <laughs> but i just remember you had a kneel yeah, right was, yeah. you just had, you had a kneel, kneel on one to... screen yeah mm-hmm. for like time <laughs> what game what was the name of this game the simon's goes castlevania 2 simon's quest two. Simon's but uh, the whole thing but the big whips. thing was as you the big thing and i remember about it which is why i got the vibes of it which is and it's to- and i'm getting honestly i think they they totally took it i think from this movie though i i really do think is that there's this thing where like wherever you go it has like an in-game clock and it will just this mm-hmm. this like dialogue pops up and it will say um what a terrible night for a curse and then like mm-hmm. you know it would like the color would change and then it would be like you'd have the monsters would become much harder at night and it had this mm-hmm. it has a very like kind of nosferatu feel to it um but the thing i was gonna say i love about it my favorite scene in that thing is is when he's in the um like the famous the, my favorite setting is when he's in the inn and like you know he's like i need my meal i'm going to see count orlock and it's just like i love like the way that all these other people kind of and they have like the big german guy like i guess he's not german but they have the big guy comes out and, you know he has like his beer and he's kind of like wiping his hands he's like you can't go out there at this yeah I just it's got a great um sort of ambiance feel to it that i love that scene in the inn mm-hmm. If there was a record scratch available at that time frame, there would have been a record scratch. Yeah, yeah. But that, that, yeah, that guy who looked like Hutter, who looks so much like Eddie Redmayne to me, I, I, I couldn't help. Like, is that Eddie Redmayne? In the, but I, yeah, could you, I think like I, I agree. I think the difference here is like night and day, right? That seems to be the big. Because it's like you have those scenes where like he gets up the next morning after looking at the book and he looks outside and it's this beautiful mountain range. And my favorite reaction in the movie is him like, ha ha ha, this is so silly. And he just chucks the book on the ground that has the warning <laughs> and kind of like wraps his towel around him or his shirt around him and washes his head. So yeah, I think that's that's kind of like where the, the dark fantasy comes in is, you know, when the sun sets. Um, so, you know, when he yeah. threw that book, my reaction was having a two and a three-year-old was do not throw your books. <laughs> like, <laughs> books are for nice reading, that not, is not for throwing. That is not your book. You don't throw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and the tension and the opposite of tension, the not tension during the day, the tension at night, mm-hmm. the relax, well... I guess, but it was it was sillier than that, right? But yeah. I, they yeah, kept yeah. going back and forth, and they were able to do it again and again and again, and it got me every time. Yeah. The other set I really liked was the um, the dilapidated home that he buys. Uh, that was apparently that him on the boat sailing up to that is based on this. I don't know if anybody knows this. This Arnold Bachlin painting, Isle of the Dead. I knew it's it. Actually... I was gonna say that. I knew yeah. that one was gonna come up. Because it, yeah. it totally is. It's absolutely from that painting. Yeah. Yeah, which is in the Met. Have you seen it in the Met? I have. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen yeah. it in the Met. Yeah. Yeah. I found, like, I found it one day. It was behind a door. Like, they just opened yeah. a door yeah. to let you in. And it's like, it's like, oh, this is. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally, who... you have to, yeah, you have to move the door to see the <laughs> to see the there. painting. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's buried which, back there. Yeah, if anybody knows, like, the, um, uh, who August Strindberg is, Strindberg was kind of a, expressionistic surrealistic playwright um who had a theater in I, I think it was in stockholm do you know where his theater was Pat? i don't remember off the top of my head now uh, but that painting was in the uh, was on the back wall I, so i know it was in the plot but did he have to buy the house 
would it have been okay if he just moved into the abandoned place? Or would our suspension of disbelief been broken? Be like, he can't just illegally move in there. He needs to legally buy it before Squatter. he moves into the point. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of strange. Strange thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why. Because vampires, vampires have to be invited into the house before oh, they can come in. I think actually this, this movie does, way. this movie I think doesn't make that point. But the, uh, in the it, book, he has to own well, the house did. in he order to, to buy go into it. it. You know, that's why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He has to yeah. buy it to move. He has to own the house to move in it, or he has to be invited into the house in order to go into it. That's not mm-hmm. just a Buffy thing. That's in the book. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> there's actually few. There's few vampire rules in this movie. There isn't a lot in the book either, right? I think that's the only one because sunlight doesn't do damage in the book. No, it doesn't kill them. It like yeah, it doesn't kill them. They can't. I think can't they? There's other things like they can't. They can't cross like running water i think during certain times mm-hmm. um and like they can't cross like because he remember he sprinkled i remember in the in the book he like sprinkles communion wafers and they can't cross that so there's certain things they yeah. can't go across um but yeah most of it i think is like yeah they, they just got rid of it all all right and here we are at the end of round one we have pat and nick are tied in first with two points apiece and cage is right behind with one we will be right back with an exciting word from a wonderful sponsor Have you ever tried to take a reasonable spoonful of soup and discover that your spoon is just too small? Ah, I just want my soup in normal portions. Ah! Or how about trying to eat a delicious steak and your tiny itty bitty baby knife can't cut through the delicious meat, forcing you to gnaw at the end of the steak like a back alley street mutt or a railway hopping hobo. I once had to attempt a delicious filet of fish with a normal-sized fork, a fork so normal in size that it took me almost five minutes to finish my halibut. But no more. From the makers of Tiny Utensils comes Enormous Utensils. Enormous Utensils include a giant-sized spoon, fork, knife, and even a giant reusable straw. So big, these utensils require you and three of your hardiest buddies to lift. Imagine being able to slurp down a gallon of soup in one spoonful, or spear an entire bison with one jab of your fork, or wield a knife so large it signals to hordes of dormant but prepared Vikings to cross the dark sea from Frisiland and onto the shores of Dover in an effort to reclaim their destiny as rulers over all of the Anglos, Saxtons, and Jutes. Yes, the last millennium has been a cold and harsh winter, a winter of fast, a winter of famine. But don't worry, my lads. England and the fruits of its soil shall be ours again. Long live Vodin and his raven. Long live Donar of the thunder. Long live the Norsemen with such mighty blades marking our helm and our arrival, we shall bring the wealth of Valhalla to this mortal coil through a great letting of blood. That's enormous utensils. It doesn't fit in the kitchen. And we're back at that critical point of our episode where we ask the guests a key question, Pat. If you could write your own sequel for Nosferatu, 
what would be the plot? Okay, so the first thing we have to be aware of is the title, because the title is the most important part of this whole pitch. And it's that the plot, the plot, yeah, the name of the movie is going to be Nosferatu. Two. It's going to be Nosferatu Two because it's <laughs> the sequel. I mean that. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. We I'm are, surprised yeah. they haven't done it already. You know, yeah. I don't understand. Um, <laughs> I so so I mean and and then you know in the elevator pitch for this thing would be like you don't even have to worry about the rights anymore it's public domain (laughs) 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 try to sue us I dare you (laughs) so I mean if, if you were doing an elevator pitch for this thing that you're you pretty much got it there you got a title you got no money no one has to blow anything out we are good i think i think hollywood would be would be signing right on for it um i mean you could you could go the route of let's say like um league of extraordinary gentlemen and just have you know the uh mina character come back and then she's you know a superhero um that one's always (laughs) always available as sequel fodder here um, so you can hook up with Alan Quartermain. It's gonna be great. Um, so we can do that <laughs> as our sequel. I thought you were gonna say you go the League of Their Own, they get a sports movie. <laughs> <with a bunch laughs> of well, what I was gonna say, you know, isn't that Twilight? That's the plot of Twilight. There would be like a real serious danger if a bat, of a splintered bat, if this is like a league of oh, this is what's that bat made out of? It's only metal bats. It's the inverse of the MLB. Yeah, they have to use metal bats for safety They play at night. Yeah, they... Focusing on the public domain part, though, Pat, if you need some other fodder to kind of pad out the story, I just want to let you know Winnie the Pooh just went in the public domain this year. So I don't know if there's any way to get that in. You might get a younger audience. This is true. Winnie the Pooh and Nosferatu too. <laughs> <laughs> and also Ulysses, I think, is now in, in the public domain. I thought Tigger would be a key role in here, you know. Winnie the Pooh, Ulysses, and Dracula into one sequel. I've already bitten your tiger friend. You're next, Pooh. That's all. That's all I got. By the way, I don't. I don't actually. Actually, we're working on it. We'll workshop it. We'll workshop it. I I want your honey. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for question three. Question number three is worth three points. You get a point per correct answer. What three predators does Professor Bulwark show to his students? Uh, Fair disclosure, I think they're in the show notes. Locked in. (laughs) Do I want to read the show notes? I'm also locked in. I only remember two of them. What's the third one? I think I'm going to go with the two that I remembered too. I think that's cheating if I look at the yeah. Yeah, I only got I only got two. Yeah, I only got two. So I guess locked in. Yeah. Sounds good. So we'll start up with Pat. Pat, what do you have? Uh, so he shows them the Venus flytrap. That one I remember. Um, he shows them the uh, sort of like polyp hydra thingy little the little underwater creature thing um and i don't i can't remember what the third one is i yeah i can't remember what the third one is all right nick what do you have 
So I remembered the Venus flytrap and the spider. I did not remember the polyp. And KJ, what do you have? All right. So I, you use the word predator, which felt a little strong to me. But in the movie, they compared a few things to vampires, including the Venus flytrap. I didn't know it was is it polyp? 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 I'd only seen it. It was a silent film. Um, and <laughs> spiders uh, were the three. But calling a Venus flytrap a predator is like calling a, a motion sensor light a, a, a searching device. Like yeah, it predator just... is something that hunts for food. It seeks out prey for food or for sustenance in some way. A Venus flytrap survives by hunting out flies. Yeah. Right? Okay. It's just so it's, automatic. You're getting the points, KJ. What about like a, like those little ant things that sit in the bottom of a hill and wait for an ant to fall into them? Like like those things, like they're, they're, not, they're not out there. I think we're talking more carnivorous though, right? Isn't that more? The idea of a predator though is still something. It's, it's like different from like a bass fisherman who's just kind of doing it for sport. No, I get where KJ is mm-hmm. coming from with the word predator versus carnivorous. Mm-hmm. it's like laying a trap versus seeking and hunting but again it's it's kind of in the details okay fair enough like the the, the venus flytrap can't not close the importance <laughs> of words the importance of words is communication and we all knew what tom was saying so we're <laughs> we did we did what three carnivores <laughs> kj who's getting all three points has a problem yeah with the I, I it depends on is if the predator is in pursuit or if lying a trap counts as pursuit, so to speak. Anyway, so the reason I brought this up was the other elements. So we talked a little bit about kind of the expressionistic stuff and the sort of Gothic elements. The other element I found really interesting was these sort of odd cuts of different things together. Um, one of them being the professor kind of just showing these different uh, di- different creatures to students, presumably. Um, the other one was like that the when they're talking about the werewolf and they just show that jackal that oddly striped jackal running around um and granted these things are pretty obvious what the message or what's being what not the message but what's being communicated but still i really love them and i want to know what people thought about those those little kind of montage scenes I, I particularly like the jackal one. I think that one that one worked very well. And and actually, although and again, I guess it sort of is a montage scene. But I also I think the the best one, and I also count this montage scene, is the one where they're they're showing like the Black Death one, and they show like the guy walking through, putting the crosses on the mm-hmm. doors, and they show like there's mm-hmm. a great shot, and they show like the village, and there's just all the coffins like being carried down that main street, um, which I thought was really you, you know I I think they're you never get away with them in like a modern film, I don't think, because, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're just sort of, they're just sort of, I guess, scene setting. I guess they're not even scene setting mm-hmm. per se. They're just sort of, um, they're just sort of ambiance setting, I guess. Yeah, I don't think you get it's, away it's with like them mood. Yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. mood. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, most people would say, well, you gotta, you gotta weave those into the, the, into the film <laughs> yes. a bit more. But I think they're, they're certainly, interestingly effective here because they're also some of the most straight kind of played moments they're not sort of the weird kind of shadows and there's not as much of sort of the the sort of over the topness to them so they they sort of have more of as you say like almost a documentary feel to them so Mm -hmm. they make them they make the world feel a little more real because they're a little more grounded yeah i also assume the audience has never seen these things before right it's 1922 
who's seen a polyp? Who's seen the, even the jackal was probably pretty, right? You're out in the woods and you're going to see a jackal. No, this is, a, you're going to see it on film. This is pretty early film. So I had assumed that people, not only was it setting the mood and all this, but hey, these things exist. So maybe vampires exist. It, it was to get into the audience psyche differently than how we do now, right? We, we, we have seen a Venus flytrap maybe in, in, in real life. Um, so seeing it on film wasn't a, like the first time we was like, oh, what is that weird alien thing? It, well, it's gonna say it's an interesting idea because yeah, I mean, nowadays in order to make something seem realistic, we just have to use special effects to make it look as realistic as possible. <laughs> Whereas here it was like, well, we can show you something that's clearly or sort of, you know, that you, you know this, or at least I guess you don't know it because there's that movie with Willem Dafoe that, that claims that it is real, um, <laughs> that, that, that he really was a vampire. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, we'll, we'll show you something that's sort of fantastical and then alongside it, we'll show you things that are totally real and that aren't, that aren't at all faked. Yeah, to sort of slip into your head that, yeah, maybe this thing is real. It's interesting. What, what's great about it is, along those lines, if this was a modern film and they said, oh, the werewolf was out there you'd see this like obnoxious like beast <laughs> with, like muscles on top of muscles if you saw a venus flytrap it would be like from mario you know like this giant thing like chomping like it would not be actual still like live footage <laughs> yeah and it's it, like patty calling it looks kind of like a documentary um and that kind of contributes to what you're saying kj about it. it's like you never would have seen this before possibly uh, hopefully a spider but uh you know <laughs> maybe not a not a jackal before um and it does there is this like weird you know liminal space we talk about this in the podcast a lot this sort of boundary play between the you know like the the fantastical which is clearly on display with the shadow play and the you know like when he goes after i keep calling him harker Hutter, when he keeps going, when he goes after Hutter for the first time, and it's like the, the shadows are what grab him and whatnot. But having this like juxtaposed with these kind of documentary looking things, and especially with the professor who's kind of discussing things in a scientific tone, in, in a scientific discourse rather, um, it makes that kind of boundary play really, really interesting because it has this sort of like, is this science? Is this magic? What's really the dividing line here? Um, and the, like this, the, even the film stock kind of does that. Uh, and also speaking of like, I love that cut of the the coffins going down the street after putting the X on. I think that's that's how they end. What Act Act Three? I think ends that way. It's like it, you see the coffins going down down the street, and it's like end of Act Three. And it's like this really really great button on that on that scene. Um, mine didn't have mine didn't have act titles. Oh really? Yeah, oh mine, mine didn't had, have that. Yeah. Oh, mine did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so can we talk about versions then, real quick? Sure. So let's go did, for it. All right. Um, so in the version I watched, there were different tints for night and day. Mm -hmm. Did you guys have the the tints for night and day? Yeah, and your version. version. So yes. <laughs> yeah, mine mine had that. But it didn't have the act. No, mine didn't have that. So did it? Did, did it, it have, have a all lot the... of text? A lot. Yeah, of... did it have a lot, like mm -hmm. quote unquote narration, right? It was all in first person too. Mm -hmm. Did you have that on yours, Pat? Yeah, I mean the 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 title text. Yeah, I mean there was a. I, I'm guessing this is just like it's a relatively or it's. I think it's a relatively early silent movie. So I don't know if they've quite it, they don't quite have that ideal. I'm guessing of like as few title cards as possible. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there's a lot. They they leaned on it a lot. The title card. was it in German or was it in English? English, mine was. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same English. English. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, compared to Sunrise, right? Sunrise has very few intertitle cards. And then I watched his last film, uh, Taboo, mm-hmm. which from a certain perspective had no title cards. It was just documentation sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I, I was surprised at how many intertitle cards there were in, in Nosferatu. Yeah. All right. So going into the last question, we have a three-way tie at four points apiece. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, let's make sure I have some bonus questions ready. Yeah, I do. All right, so let's go. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's not, it's not going to be fun. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. All right. For the win. It's time for question four. What is the first thing to die? Great question. Locked in. I am really blank in here. I have so many joke answers. <laughs> but I'm in this. Like, I got a chance here. I don't want to throw it away. You can give a real answer and also a joke answer. It's not Jeopardy. Yeah, but I got to come up with the real one first. Especially with Pat's confident lock in there. Like, he's, <laughs> oh, he's a ch- champion. Mm-hmm. I'm locked in. Oh, locked in. All right, KJ, what do you have? Well, so my real answer is a sailor, maybe on the boat, but that seems so late. Uh, my joke answer is Nosferatu, is the undead. <laughs> um, and the other joke answer was uh, me when I'm realizing I'm losing this game to this question. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of answers. Man. The uh, sailor. The sailor. Sailor. Nick, what do you got? I was going to hedge my bets. Uh, a mammal. Okay, thank you, Pat. What do you have? It's the flowers because she yeah. comes in and he she's picked the flowers for her and he goes to her <laughs> and he says and he hands her the flowers and she says, "Why did you yes. kill the beautiful flowers?" Yes. She yep. did. Ex- she did. Oh. Exactly. It was the flowers. All Excellent. Right. All is right with the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was the broken blossoms. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they literally broke it this time. All right. So, bringing this in here, um, brought this up to talk about more of the characters to talk about. I keep calling her Mina, but her name is Ellen. <laughs> um, she looks like a Mara sister, doesn't she? She looks like like Rooney Mara a little bit. But anyway, uh, nobody knows who that is. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. Yep, we hope you do, audience. I was I was thinking she looks like Miss Clavel from Madeline, but that's... Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, a little, little bit there too. Um, but anyway, uh, so talking about these characters, especially about like her connection to the Count um, and then the Count himself. I was wondering what people thought of that, that connection and how that feeds into the, the end of the film. I guess just on, just one quick note on, on names because it's, what is it? It's, what is his name? Hutter and Harker. So I keep I'm trying to mix them and I keep almost calling them Horker. Um, which is, <laughs> that's in Nasratu. Which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll be, they'll be Horker, um, but Hutter. Um, I mean, it's, it's to my mind, it seemed that was, that was one of those, um, because they never, you know, in, in the book, you know, there is sort of, I think a connection between them, but that's because he's fed on her. Mm -hmm. And so there is actually supposed to be like a connection between Nina and the vampire, but 
in this one it almost it sort of had a little bit of sort of plot insulation kind of felt like, <laughs> yes. like like there was a little bit of as you know like the uh the force in star wars where it's like you can just make that to fill in the gaps <laughs> but wasn't it more like psychological almost like like he could like connect with her like again going back to what pat was saying other ones said the feeding on i got that you know but this yeah. was just like what well, he saw her picture is that what allowed him to reach out i mean i just assumed that because he first sees her you know and she's doing like the walking you know on the balcony thing when he's feeding on horker and the who is he feeding <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> feeding on hutter but i mean again it sort of just has that feeling of like well, she's so much in love with her husband that mm-hmm. she feels pain when he's in pain. You know, it's sort of that, that you know, and I'm like, well, mm-hmm. well you, you kind of, you're, you're, you're just kind of making this up a little bit. Obviously, <laughs> you're making it up, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just kind of doing this. And, and even at the end there, yeah, I mean, the, the implication, I guess, is that he's, yeah, he sees her picture, I guess, and therefore he's infatuated with her, and mm-hmm. so when he was across the street, he, he you know, is, is sort of obsessed with her, I guess, to some extent. Well, that's why he buys the place, because he sees the picture. It's true. He's, well, he's buying it already, isn't he? No. He sees the picture and says, I'm take it. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, he wants the like... place. He's buying something. He hasn't decided to build it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was this. She also has the the kind of the grand sacrifice thing where she kind of, as an innocent person, gives herself up in order to, um, in order to, you know, to destroy the great evil or whatnot. That type of kind of classic trope. Um, I kind of agree. I didn't find her particularly fascinating. Um, I read a very hard to get through article about. Um, uh, post-Freudian psychology and anti-immune responses <laughs> talking about like her <laughs> her being like the embodiment Someone needed tenure I guess huh? yes so. somebody <laughs> uh, somebody did not deserve it but it was like it was yeah um it was using like Deridian readings of anti-immune responses and she was like the anti-immune response that hurts the body as it saves the body that type of thing to kill dracula it was it was i did not finish the article but um the the thing i always find interesting about this and i kind of said this before and it's also really true of the novel is like the mystery of in this case orlock uh like he has just no history almost or no kind of definable characteristics i mean he's more animal like than because even his teeth his teeth are in the front he doesn't have them on the sides like your classic Bela Lugosi vampire. They're just these like little mouse teeth. They're like really gross. Um, and if you remember from the, the novel, the novel's an epistolary novel. So it's all these journals or letters or like a ship's log is uh, I think in it as well, um, which I actually got here too. But the thing you never hear from, you hear from almost everybody except Dracula himself. And with a movie like this, which, as you guys are pointing out, has like so much text, it has so much <laughs> uh, intertitles, it has it has letters, it has book chapters, um, you know, it, it, things like that. Like, there's a lot of voices here, and Orlock is given like almost no voice throughout the throughout the whole thing. Um, I I just love the little detail they give him, where like they show the uh, the people taking the 
coffins off of the ship and there's like five people carrying these things and then they show him just walk up and pick up one like over his arm and just walk <laughs> off with it which i think is just such a great little visual mm-hmm. sort of storytelling that this guy can just like pick up this giant coffin of dirt over his arm mm-hmm. and just lug it off which i think is just a great little you know but as you say he's he's sort of more a force of nature mm-hmm. like a plague mm-hmm. you know he's literally like the plague than he is an actual person per se it's just it's literally like well what if the black death could 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 choose to buy a house in your town (laughs) is is pretty much what it's sort of he is well along those lines i was gonna say he is a parasite because when he is in an area or community he literally sucks all the life out of them and then when there's no one left to go he has to move on to another place to provide to find more sustenance and that's the embodiment of the plague but I thought it was interesting to actually view him as a parasite. And even the correlation to the guy, I, I love the part where he's like, there's a lot of mosquitoes here. I got two interesting mosquito bites on my neck. Well, mm-hmm. that is a parasite. And he is not far from that. Yeah, I like the idea of him as, as a force of nature. Yeah, and you're, that speaks to what you're saying too, Nick. Um, I remember, do you remember the intertitle when the, the ship is coming? How they describe how Orlok makes the ship come? It makes the ship arrive. It's just his breath moves the ship. So he just sort of becomes the wind as well. Uh, yeah, I think this idea of him being like the uh, the parasite that can move or like this force of nature that has property rights is, is a really fun way to look at him. What I love about the novel is the absence of Dracula. Like he's this, this center, you know, he's the kind of the black hole character. Like the whole novel revolves around him but we can't see into what that entity is. I don't think we even get a physical description very often, if at all. It's time for Movie Rant. Yeah, so Tom, I think you mentioned last week during your first impressions how popular Nosferatu the movie is. And I was surprised at how much other media has been either inspired um, specifically by Nosferatu, not just Dracula, but Nosferatu. There was a Super Nintendo game I tried it a little bit. It kind of plays like Prince of Persia, where they're more interested in the animation than the actual gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, I it was it was a pretty tough game. It wasn't particularly fun, but I, you know I got fairly far into it. Um, there's a, a song by Blue Oyster Cult mm-hmm. that's all about Nosferatu. They're just singing about him. <laughs> there was a musical written in 1995. It's up on YouTube. Um, the music's kind of annoying to listen to not i mean I, i'm a, i like musicals you know it's but this was um not a good and one. then pat you mentioned before the shadow of the vampire mm-hmm. right so somebody made an entire movie a, a fictional thing about making this movie Werner Hozak, i think right the only the only person ever nominated for an academy award for playing a vampire oh really yeah oh interesting factoid yeah hmm mm. That's what the movie um, rant's all about. Yeah, I was just surprised at how much, you know, Nosferatu adjacent stuff there was in, in other media than just just movies. Even directly, though, KJ, that's why I thought I saw this film. The scene where he, like, rises from the ground, like, that is in so many cuts of so many, like, monster movie, horror trip. Like, whenever they're, like, introducing something to do with Dracula, you always saw that version of Nosferatu coming up from the ground and by the way it's really cool i i don't know why it's so catching or at least that's how i felt i don't know where you guys stand mm-hmm. on that early 20s special effects 
but seriously that was a pretty cool special effect it yeah it is it, it's effect you know also the the cutting of the sheet on the ship being moved or mm -hmm. um yeah i also like the superimposing of him on the uh, on the coffins in the ship i think that was my favorite that one's really creepy. The, the the one the one that did, that I just like I thought was hilarious is when they show him loading the uh, the coffins onto the cart, <laughs> and then they show like yeah he like gets into one of the coffins and they show the lid be like yeah that one that one was not subtle. <laughs> they were like yeah we're not we're, you know what we could make this look better but we're gonna have to do like five hundred slow shots and then we literally have the sun's gonna be moving across the screen. We can't do this. You can't do this. Um, I mean, the, the, I I always say, I think this is like one of the more atmospheric ones. Like I mm -hmm. I really like. It's part of the reason why I also like um, uh, Frankenstein. Is I I like the um, these sort of small village kind of things, especially with the. That's why I mentioned I love the scene where they're in the inn and they sort of like these kind of claustrophobic feelings uh small towns and kind of europe you know and these these monsters coming in there i i i like that as a as sort of a atmospheric uh technique for films and i think this one is is just a great sort of like you really get that feeling that this is a town that's like terrified and they don't know why they're terrified because they think it's just the plague but i think it's like i i do just love that that sort of that it's a very claustrophobic feeling for the town especially another thing this movie reminded me a lot of a king kong movie where you start in your safe hometown, you kind of go on a journey to the unknown-ish. You find a monster, deal with a monster, and then the monster ends up back, back in the hometown. Um, and like King Kong movies, I think it's more fun before the vampire gets back. Mm -hmm. I think the build-up to the vampire was more fun than uh, the vampire not attacking, but mm -hmm. being in in our space, so to say. Mm -hmm. I'd agree with that. I enjoyed the beginning of the movie more than I did the end. I know I don't know why specifically, but yeah, I just understanding and uncovering what Count Orlock was all about mm -hmm. and everything that happens around him versus where he ended up and all. That. Again, when the when the 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 Hutter's wife got in the I just wasn't as intrigued by all of that, which I know is a big part of the film, but it is I, I I actually agree with that because it 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 does sort of have this feeling of like because if you you know obviously in the book there's a lot more sort of you know mystery even after he arrives in London you know and there's the because he eventually turns the the other Lucy is it so, um, mm -hmm. yeah yeah and he turns her into a vampire and then they have all these people who you know they have to figure out that she's a vampire and <laughs> her and then they have this yeah, there's a lot more and then they have van helsing shows up and there's a lot more sort mm -hmm. of like slowly evolving plan of like what this thing means and how it's you know now it's in the city you know it's left it's sort of in the countryside and now it's here and what are we supposed to do with it you know there's mm -hmm. this sort of gradual emergence and this this does this this very much has that kind of deus ex machina like, <laughs> yes. oh she just opens her window and that'll kill him. You know, so, <laughs> so this, 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 Works this every thing time. has survived for centuries. Mm. And this, this, this is the only person who <laughs> stopped him. This happens to be here. You know, it sort of has a little bit of this feeling of, of kind of like, all right, well, we, we've, this movie's been an hour and 45 minutes. We gotta, we gotta end it. We gotta, we gotta, um, we're out of money. You know, it, it, yeah, we're out of money. And, you know, we gotta, we gotta move fast. It, mm. it kind of has that feeling to it. 
Um, not to say that that, op- that final sequence isn't kind of co- like really cool. Like mm-hmm. it is a very cool sequence with like, especially the hand kind of moving over her, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of grabs her heart and they've got the, the shadow going up the staircase. Like it's a very, it's a cool mm-hmm. scene in and of itself, but as sort of like a plot scene, it sort of, it, it does, it ends very abruptly. Mm-hmm um for the film I, yeah. I i think anyway yeah i agree it also makes like little sense as you yeah. say it's it's not entirely clear actually what defeated him apparently her willingness to sacrifice herself was what did it and she really loved her husband but I, you know it, it, like i think that's a really good point you make it like it's just kind of a day of sex mock you know it's we're done here um, that book that book was opened to the perfect pages every single time <laughs> <Yes>. they needed <laughs> <information>. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but yeah and it's i i guess what it is is it's just more of a tone poem it really is about kind of shaping and coloring these tones because you write like the book, there's a lot of like investigation and there's a lot of like scientific stuff and that doesn't work. So they have to turn to this kind of Catholic iconography and, and all those types of things. Um, and Van Helsing is just taken out of this. I mean, I guess Professor Bulwark is kind of a Van Helsing figure, but he's not a vampire hunter and he has nothing to do with the plot. He's just sort of literally on the sidelines <laughs> commenting on carnivores i guess we'll say uh commenting on carnivores um and so this whole thing is just ends up being about like feel and edit and shadow instead of narrative um you know it's 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 like expressionism and montage kind of what what sense of dread can we make as opposed to necessarily tell a story which I think is probably pretty early 1920s, late 19 teens way of making a movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect to the to the point where you know it's like a lot of these movies. If you're trying to do really heavy plot driven films, it just ain't gonna work. Yeah, um, you know, because even this film, it's like even to try to get the plot in this film, it's got to do a lot of title cards, got to do a lot of stuff. I mean, even as we were saying, Sunrise has very few title cards also has very little plot yeah. <laughs> there's not there's not the you can summarize it in... it's over in 40 minutes the plot's over in 40 minutes in a two-hour movie mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so it's you know for all intents and purposes if you're trying to do really heavy plot films they, they just they're, they're gonna really struggle mm-hmm. i think whereas um yeah if you're trying to do these because you call them tone poems it's an interesting phrase yeah they, they can do that a lot more easily than they can do a you know, as as you said, I don't know, I don't know what Ben Hur was doing in a. <laughs> God, that, that I, I couldn't follow it if I hadn't just watched Charles Heston. I would not. <laughs> I'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week, Pat. Good for you. <laughs> nice one. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Photo finish there. I don't know if it's it's been a while. If ever did we ever have like a three way tie going into the end? I mean. We, we had it with James in the um, Bill's Folly. Oh, oh yes, yes. Mm. That was a battle to the death. I remember that one. Mm. It's yeah. very rare, very rare. Mm. You can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts, on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We're extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. Have you ever mistakenly invited a vampire into your home? Let us know on Twitter, TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201-467-8679. Thanks again, Pat, for joining us today. Thank you for having me, guys. You can find me on Twitter at 
Thomas Lehman 15 and check out our sister podcast, Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side. And you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time for another slasher horror film when we discuss Nick's recommendation, which is me, from 1997, I Know What You Did Last Summer. I haven't seen that one in a very long time, probably since 1997. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. Next week, we'll be discussing I Know What You Did Last Summer. Tom, how was your watch? This is the second time I've seen this. I saw this when it first came out. Uh, what I remember most about this movie is the song Hush that <laughs> that plays. It's, that's really how I identify this movie. Um, and of course, the, the hook thing. I actually had even forgotten that they discussed that famous hook fairy tale story or the uh it's not a fairy tale what do you call it an urban legend legend, story yeah yeah. Yeah, non-urban urban legend story that that goes throughout the the movie so even that i had forgotten about um i was surprised how universally bad the acting was with the the possible exception of prince jr (laughs) oh he's awful in it yeah he's really awful like sarah michelle geller isn't doesn't have a lot of range but at least she knows how to play in action poor freddie prince he 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 plays everything like a sad puppy that's the old that's the whole the whole movie was oh the poor sad puppy freddie prince jr he he's he's dealing that puppy he's dealing with some stuff today isn't he he's a good boy though he's gonna get it done (laughs) that's all i could think of when watching this film he, oh, he's so cute. We'll just let he's him so stay in the cute. movie. Yeah, oh, let it, oh, he's doing his best. He's adorable. Guy. He's trying. Let's give him a treat. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I had a good time uh, with this watch. I saw it for the first time probably just a couple years ago um, and followed quickly by I Still Know, uh, which is fun in the moment. But then when I'm trying to think back on it later, it's like, okay, well, which one was the first one, you know, and that coming off of running the whole screen marathon. So it was great to revisit it. And yeah, just like some of the stuff that had come up in this movie where I was just trying to place it from before. Um, I mean, I, I, I had fun with it. I think, you know, it is what it is and we'll, we'll get into that for sure, but it was, it was good to, to revisit it for sure. I thought I had seen this when it first came out and it's possible I did and just remember absolutely nothing, but I remember nothing. I didn't remember who the killer was. I, I mean, at one point I thought maybe Anne Hash was the killer. Um, I really couldn't remember anything. And I don't know if that was a function of me being like nine or 10, or um, if I just got scared and fell asleep, which was typically what I did. Um, but I enjoyed it, I guess, this first, time I watched it except for yeah the acting was was real bad and part of it I was just trying to figure out if it was Freddie Prince Jr. or if he was just supposed to be someone who was so dumb he couldn't react to what was happening around him um but I I had fun yeah I I think the last time I saw this was probably 1997 I was I think a freshman in high school and I only remember that Jennifer Love Hewitt was in it. I didn't remember anyone else, which probably shows you where my mind was uh, at that stage of my life. <laughs> uh, but it was interesting to rewatch. And I'm like, oh yeah, they just took like 14 heartthrobs from the 90s and put like 
a kind of horror plot together and there you go. And what's interesting is we just did Scream uh, the other week, which is why this is part of our, our Scream block. And in my head, these movies were always connected. And we'll talk a little bit more during the episode where they may have actually been a little bit more connected than I even realized. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is going to be a fun one to talk about. Definitely not an award winner. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> 